life can be beautiful or life could be shit and it really isn't contingent widely on what your income looks like and so if that's the one thing you're looking at as like a safety measure is oh at least i have this job for the whole year you know like there's some sort of income stability and again speaking from my perspective i've noticed i've grown away from making fear-based decisions that's why i referenced it earlier of like finding security where it was able and moving from that and you know there's just not there's not a need to latch yourself to a job or a place you don't necessarily love or thrive in just because it provides some modicum of quote-unquote safety. This is the Seasonals Podcast, a show where we talk to people living the seasonal lifestyle. We take an in-depth look at the decision points they've encountered along the way. Tim Hemi today. How are we doing today, Tim? Doing well. And done with work for the day and had lunch. Feel more like a human. Great. Doing excellent. We're here in Ketchikan, Alaska. Tim, if you could just start off telling me a bit about what you actually did today for for your work. Uh, Mary and I uh, woke up this morning and grabbed the coffee and ran out the door and... Uh, Took three ladies out on a kayak tour from our boat. Um, we ran down uh, towards Carroll by Bold, uh, towards Bold. And uh, we put the kayaks in from the boat and scooted around. It was a negative 1.3, I think, today. So there's a lot of intertidal zone life to check out. It was a pretty, so pretty casual day. Carroll Inlet. Yeah. Bold Island. Yeah, and we scoot around a little bit before we plop the uh, kayaks in the water. Okay, and then the tide was a negative one point three, is what right. you're saying. Yeah, okay. right, right about when we uh, threw the kayaks in, so it was nice. There was uh, lots to go paddle beside, rather than you know paddling in the trees. <laughs> you know, some of the higher tides. You're, oh yeah, yeah, you're it's in the branches. Scraping you as you're going. <laughs> so when the in from like an average to lowest tide change. Where is that, and what what kind of life can you see during those tides? Oh, the like the average tidal exchange? like for somebody that has no clue what a minus oh, one three is. Right on. Um, so our average tidal exchange around here is about twelve feet, and then so today we had a little over a fourteen foot tidal exchange because it came up to fifteen feet this afternoon, um, and that's every six and a half hours. It'll do come in. Six and a half hours, and it'll go out in six and a half hours. So we get almost two complete tidal exchanges. Um, but yeah, and then you have the intertidal zone, you know, marine flora and fauna that are in the water for part of the day. And then you have marine flora and fauna that are out of the water for part of the day, which is pretty wild. It's, uh, if you think about it with some context, like if you put me and you in the water for eight hours a day like that wouldn't work very well no. <laughs> but you take some of the stuff on the higher end of the intertidal zone and they're out in the air for eight hours a day it's pretty wild so what kind of creatures are in there uh we went by a bunch of you know those scallops that swim through the water mm -hmm. we went by a bunch of them on the hard today which was pretty crazy you would think that uh, they would swim 
into the water, but the tide fell out from under them so quick that they were just laying on the rocks, uh, which is pretty neat for us. Maybe not so cool for them. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, you know, sea stars, that sort of bit. And then there was some uh, other echinoderms, some sea cucumbers and all that fun stuff. Just lounging around on the rocks, getting their sun for a few hours. <laughs> I saw... little sun we had today. Yeah. And we've had all week. I saw a sea cucumber the other day when I was out at Naha up north, and it was giant. Yeah? It was huge. How big? I mean, it was like, it's like I don't know how big they get, but that's, to that's me, it was, it was pretty big. No, that's pretty big. Crazy orange spikes coming off just what looks like a cucumber yeah. under the water. <laughs> yeah, they get to be, uh, they get to be a little bigger. But I really, it's not the size that I get interested in. It's like the colors. Mm. It's like, because there's so many different colors. Um, favorites are the purples. The purple ones? Yeah, the purple ones. The purple and white ones with a little tinge of brown. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. Those are great. The Yeah, that orange color was so, it seems unnatural, but obviously that cucumber <laughs> right. would be pissed if I told that to him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so the the one part of that that we should unpack is you and Mary own the Alaska Kayak Company. Yeah. And she was our first guest on the podcast. That's right. She was the first. And so we will hear her name plenty, Mary Maley. <laughs> but so you're out with these three ladies today. And how did they do? Uh, they did great. Yeah, they were... Um three generations and the grandma and the mom gave in um the younger girl wanted to the daughter and the granddaughter uh wanted to go uh paddle around so they gave in and uh they all ended up really liking it they were a little apprehensive at first because you know grandma was like i don't know about kayaks actually right. she was i don't know about canoes <laughs> 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 it's uh but yeah it worked out really well they were uh you know, it's easy on a day like today when you've got a low tide and the water's flat. You can just go wherever. It's uh, if people don't like that, there's something they need to go get uh, their head checked. You know. Yeah. It's uh, it's uh, it was a lovely day to be out on the water, both on the boat and in the kayaks. Nice. So you're going out there. You're showing them the intertidal life, and. Obviously, there's a lot of uh, other factors that goes in when you have tourists coming to a place that's very foreign to them, very new to them. Oh, yeah. And yeah. What's, what are, what's one of the, the better experiences you had as, as a kayak tour guide? And then what's one of the ones that you're like, ugh, okay, let me tell you about that one. Uh, I, I mean, some of my best experiences, I've had multiple, is when people get as excited as I am about, like, checking out what's in the woods because sometimes we do kayak and hike tours and mm -hmm. so people just lose their minds they've been traveling past this forest and they just see that first set of trees for the past week or so you know if they're headed south and they think that that's the woods like oh we're gonna go walk the through this wall of tree and then like it opens up you know you know you've yeah. been through the woods here it opens up the first two or three trees in and then it's a whole nother ball game it's like this kingdom of new exciting things to be found right there's a lot more understory than that just wall a branch would belie it's uh and even from when i'm walking through it there's so much more to see when i'm walking with you so you are 
pointing out things and saying, look at this. You, oh, you might not yeah. know what this is, but this is the process that's going on here. Right. And so then it, it's a whole nother layer of opening this entire thing to somebody that doesn't know. Right. It's unexpected. And there's a lot of, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of relationships between, especially if you're just leaving the coast, the marine environment and the terrestrial. And then there's just a lot ecologically. Um, Cause there's not, you know, not a ton of life here, but what is here has some pretty easy relationships to describe to people as you're walking along. It's not like you got to crack three books just to talk about one beetle. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fun combination of words. <laughs> so then what is the situation where the tourist is maybe not the best? Uh, you know, you can, some people, and I, I couldn't point you to like one in particular because I don't hold on to it. But some people just want to be bitter at the world, and you can hand them, like, it could have been a today. You know, a beautiful tide, flat water, like, maybe a little more sun. It's pretty overcast yet. But, you know, and you can have whales breaching over the damn kayak, and uh, it's, people would still be grumpy. You know, yeah. like, it's just some people don't see any sort of beauty in the world and are pretty intent on not. It's, uh, so those, so no one, no one in particular, but just... People that refuse to uh, appreciate what they're in, uh, even when it's being spoon-fed to them. Yeah. <laughs> By yours truly. Right. <laughs> right. And a beautiful spoon yes. full of information. Yeah. The beautiful spoon. And worded in such poetic ways. Right. Open your mouth, toddler. <laughs> <laughs> You're up here in Ketchikan. You've got the kayak company. You're giving tours to tourists who, for the most part, are wonderful and get really excited. Where are you originally from? Uh, originally, St. Louis is where I have most of my family, uh, or what's left of it. We've all kind of scattered around. Uh, and then, you know, in like a 300-mile radius of that, because we were scooting around. My dad was railroad, so we go live in... St. Louis, he'd worked East St. Louis Yard for a couple of years, and we'd go move to some little depot in Illinois or Missouri for a couple of years, and then we'd go back. And so just like a radius of three or 400 miles around St. Louis. Um, but then I ended up doing high school in Southeast Missouri, so I can talk like this when I need to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, but St. Louis is home. That's where both sides of the family still are, where what pocket is left. Mm-hmm. And so how did you make your your trip from wherever to alaska oh i was in nashville that was where i did my second round of growing up for a long time it's uh did a bit of college there and just did a lot of play in there as well um yeah a real ritual of some frisbee golf and yeah playing frisbee golf through the morning hangover which is coming (laughs) back here (laughs) it's uh but yeah, no, I was in Nashville for several years, about as many as I've been in uh, Ketchikan now, actually, about seven years, and uh, I had a friend that was coming up here seasonally, and he kept inviting me up, uh, Devin, mm-hmm. and I kept telling him no, because it's, you know, I had other things going on. It's summer in Nashville, like, why am I going to Alaska? <laughs> <laughs> and then finally one year I realized, I, you know, I had been kind of waiting for things to settle down and become better for a transition you know like more timely because i had several irons in the fire at that point and i realized that that just wasn't going to happen and if i was ever going to go travel and explore a little bit 
they just needed to pull the trigger, regardless of what the uh, current circumstances were. What was what was Devin's pitch <coughs> to you? Uh, there is, you can make enough money to support yourself and go have an adventure, and go check it out. You know, it's uh, we had a lot of fun together running around Nashville, and he was like, you could go do this, you could go run around, have adventures, and explore a new place and get out of town for a bit and you know i don't know my i really enjoy nashville i really enjoyed my time there um but i had in i don't know sunk into it almost and kind of put blinders on to the rest of the world even though i really love to travel i just hadn't done it in years i just kept digging myself deeper into nashville and so i think you could see that that was a part of me that i hadn't been feeding so just encouraging me it's like you could have this level of joy and more by exploring because it's, you know, it's apparent that you need to go do that. Yeah. So what was, tell me a little more about that, that you had put your blinders on and you were dug in in Nashville. Uh, this is working a lot. Yeah. It's, uh, I was working hard and playing hard and, you know, that builds itself into a rut pretty easy. Um, you start stealing every moment you can and it's got, there's like intention behind every moment. There's no time to just sit or stare. You're either working 60 to 70 hours a week which is what I was doing and then sleeping or more often than not actually let's be honest you're working 60 or 70 hours a week and then you're drinking your way through the rest of the evening and then getting up and doing it again so it's a level of responsibility it feels responsible but also you're not really going anywhere um yeah and at the time I had uh <laughs> we were running wild and uh I think Tennessee would have had enough of me at some point. I was uh, broke the terms of my bail to come up here because right before I came up here, I tried to Fonzie a jukebox. And okay. <laughs> it's, uh, touch screens don't Fonzie well. <laughs> <laughs> and those things are expensive. Uh, yeah, so... I was uh, getting a little too wild for Nashville, and it was obvious that Tim needed some source of uh, adventure outside of a bar. <laughs> right. So <laughs> the jukebox situation happened, and yeah. that perfect level of, I need to get out of here, and Devin's, you need to get up here, yeah, just, just worked out at the right time. It was an appropriate confluence, yes. What did you expect when you came up here, aside from being able to have adventures and all that. Oh, to get outside and explore. And that was, I mean, I don't think I was sold a bill of goods. He was pretty dead on with that. Like, that's um, what I love to do. Even down there is taking the time to go run into the woods, you know, at least once a week. Not as much as I do up here now. Mm -hmm. But within that schedule, that was a lot for Tim to even squeeze it in once a week down there. But, yeah, to go poke in the tree line, to go run up mountains, um, to go maybe work on a fishing boat and tried that a couple of times too. Uh, some with more success than others. <laughs> so you get up here, what, what, uh, how did you go about looking for your first job and what was the first say few months like? Uh, my first job, I ended up just serving at this place, uh, just to get by and pay the rent for a bit. And, that was neither here nor there. It was interesting. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Didn't make a lot of money, but I drank a lot of gin. It's, uh, <laughs> the owners should, if they didn't, should have brought 
bought stock in Tangare because that was what they and the staff, including myself, did most afternoons. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't so much a lot of work as it was just, yeah. Running the bar was quote unquote, yeah. Running the bar <laughs> was more often than not serving workers rather than guests. Gotcha. It was one of those places. So not a great place to stack away money. Uh, so I moved on from that. But that was my first introduction to work and work ethic in Alaska. And I was like, oh, I could beat that pretty handily. If you show up on time and sober, you're maybe more qualified than a third of the population here in right. Ketchikan. You, you don't know? have to leave sober, but you got to show up sober. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. Yep. Okay. So, when did you when did you get out of that, and what was what was the next step? Uh, I got out of that um, just a month or two, like a month and a half after that, because you know that was a not sustainable idea. I was up here to do something other than that idea. Um, yeah, and I went and traveled around the state a little bit. Um, it was in July, August, went up to Anchorage, did some exploring, drove down to Seward. Uh, yeah, just checked out the state a little bit and came back. And What was the impetus for that? I've, I've been up here nine years, and I've never been anywhere but Ketchikan. No, well, I mean, I was in that mode, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, once you're up here for a while, I think people get stuck in what I call this backyard syndrome. Like, it's so hard to explore sometimes, like, just what's within reach. Mm-hmm. And, you, like, the intangible and the... The distant are far more romantic, but when you live in Alaska, that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, and so just coming up here with fresh eyes and realizing that there was, like, I had only been in Ketchikan a month, like, a month and a half tops. Like, there's tons more to explore. It's a very por- tiny portion of the state. So that was the impetus. That and I had some airline miles still kicking around. Gotcha. Yeah. Yep. So might as well explore it in the summer, because I knew I wasn't going to go up there in the winter, and I, at that point, hadn't planned to stick around. Yeah. So, you know, you're all this way. You might as well go check it out, I guess, was kind of the uh, idea. So you traveled around, checked it all out, went down to Seward. Did you did you come back because you liked Ketchikan the best or just because you knew Devin and other people here? Uh, I like uh, Ketchikan was going to be the base for a few months. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was, yeah, that was without question. I wanted to explore and use this as a base. Um, and then after that, I got back. I got a call from my landlord in Nashville saying they sold the house I was renting and I needed to move all my stuff out. (laughs) Well, that's going to be, yeah, that's going to be hard for me to do because I'm in Alaska. (laughs) (laughs) So I had to hire uh, some folks to move all that out and put it in my storage unit. And then what they couldn't fit in there, I just had my friends take. And uh, so my timeline for going back kind of disappeared. It's like, ah, well, I'll just stay up here a few more months. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I'm not paying double rent anymore. I dropped a pile of cash. I get all my stuff in storage, but that's still like, you know, that's nothing compared to th- three months of double rent. Yeah. Um, I remember paying double rent my first summer up here. Yeah. Double rent's brutal. <laughs> yeah. Rent in general can be brutal, but double rent. Oof. Uh, yeah. So timeline went away and I was like, oh, well, I'll stay in Ketchikan for a little bit longer. We'll see what the fall looks like. And, uh, it was seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, just decided, keep decided, kept deciding to stay a few more months. So. You don't know which months those are, but you're going to stay for them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you got into uh, some boat jobs. You want to talk about those? Uh, they were brief, but they were, they were, exciting. they were an adventure. <laughs> <laughs> they were as exciting as they were brief. Um, 
I had my first singing job that I tried um, was with a family friend, or a friend that had a family that was running a boat. And unfortunately, they uh, hit a rock on my first opener. So I've been to Sitka for about 24 hours. Um, they hit a rock, and we were out on the deck. I'd been on the deck for 45 minutes, and we rolled, and we sank. And then I got picked up by another boat and went to a hotel, and then nobody got hurt, and woke up in the morning and got on a plane and came back to catch again. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, the second time I tried sailing, we were at a shootout at Neats, you know, where they play bumper boats with each other, not the bang bang kind of right. shootout. And uh, just low, tons of boats yeah, in a small area. Yeah, it's like playing bumper boats, basically, and everybody has two boats on their team. Um, yeah, and then we ended up backing up over our own net, which was at the mouth of the creek, so it was full of fish, and we couldn't pull it up because, you know, it was also full of prop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so cut off what we could and limped home to catch again. And then I decided I probably wasn't going to be a saner. But uh, wow. that was that was my two whacks at uh, saning, both in the same season. Those were about two weeks apart. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, I, I, there are many things I am not. There's one thing I am for sure is stubborn, but even I know when to quit. <laughs> so what, So the boat sinks up in Sitka. Yeah. You come back. Two weeks later, you're on that saner. No, I'm on a new saner. Right, you're on, I got on, you're on a new career. saner, and it backs over the net. Is there a moment where you just look up at the sky and just close your eyes and feel the breeze? And just go, <laughs> I'm just going to sit in this moment for a while. Uh, Nobody bother me. <laughs> I wasn't, it wasn't so much... Really, what it was, like, the main thought was, like, how, how, how did you last this long, you know? Like, there's this boat that requires intent to operate. Like, it requires money for fuel. It's like, how did... It's a whole enterprise like, to it, own yeah, a saint. It would, it would be one thing if it was, you know, Tim the Greenhorn that doesn't know what the hell's going on. If I was at the wheel doing this, this like, backing over the net. Like, don't you, like, want to get paid? Like, isn't this your profession? <laughs> and that further cemented the idea. If you show up on time and sober, you can do a lot in Ketchikan. Yeah, I hear that often about a lot of places in Alaska. If you can show up on time and sober, it's green lights. Yeah. Or yeah. whatever you want to do. The qualifications are highly flexible at yeah. that point. Yeah. All right. But now, you can't teach who isn't there. So you got out of the boating thing. Yeah, for a while. And what came next? Uh... A on that very idea, I became a union glazer, <laughs> which I had never messed with glass before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, ended up working with glass for a couple of years. And then I had a friend that I came up here with, Devin, bought a tour company and asked me to help him out running that. So I ended up quitting the glazing job. And then moving into managing an electric bike tour, which I had also never done. And right. That was. But you, you had, I mean, your your passion was in nature, out in the right. woods, and right. so you knew getting away from the glazing and the glass was. It probably wasn't that hard of a decision, especially no. working for your friend that brought you up here. No, that that part was highly attractive. Getting into the seasonal life 
more fully was like the hesitation because while I had been up here and traveling and moving around in a seasonal fashion, like I'd always had for the most part jobs where it was like, okay, well then the next step will be this. But jumping into that was leaving a year round job that I hadn't left, you know, like a good year round paying job that I hadn't felt the need to necessarily walk away from that sort of cash. Mm -hmm. But the idea of walking away from the cash for what I really wanted to do was strong enough that I did that. And then I figured out the next season. So what were what were some of the pros and cons as you were deciding about jumping into seasonal life? Uh well with a kiddo, it's uh always you gotta make sure that I mean, it's one thing to starve yourself, you can't starve your kid. Right. <laughs> so with a kid it's uh gotta make sure you stay paid and paid enough to have like nutritionist nutritious food and a roof and they're good you know they're clean and going to school and you know all of that requires money to do efficiently Mm -hmm. so that was a big big factor on the left and then on the right was well i need to be fed and being outside is what feeds me that's what i came up here for so it took a minute or two but then uh yeah it took a couple weeks really to decide but then it came down to it it's like why not both just why are you going to operate out of fear and make a fear-based decision on a maybe uh well maybe i won't have enough money to do all this maybe i won't you know it's like how do you know unless you do it and if there's all this potential positive of working with a friend and working outside it's like why would you make a fear-based decision right like i'll stay in safety that is not as positive as it could be potentially over there like that's what it, that's what i eventually came to try and avoid fear-based decisions they tend to uh not do me as well hmm. they don't they don't reward you no that's for sure no well the, yeah you get what you put in with fear-based decisions which is to say not much right uh, and how'd the how the tour end up and how'd it work out with the kid and oh that whole new situation that you jumped into it was great it's uh yeah the tour grew a lot and it ended up keeping me really busy. It kept both of us pretty busy. And then uh, it was one of my favorite trails to take Noah on anyway. So after what, what the hike would go through for the tour. And so I really love that trail. Can you sort of get in the tour guide mode and give us the, some of the highlights? Oh, well, there's so many berries. That's why I love the thing. Because I could walk and eat and then talk <laughs> to guests. <laughs> so, like, that was the best part. And that's why Noah and I loved it so much. We harvested so many gallons of blueberries off that trail. It's because uh, they're just so prolific. I mean, before you even get down to the creek, which is not that far of a walk, it's like 10 minutes, there's already, I mean, you've passed 400 blueberry bushes. It's, uh, so the food. <laughs> the food's the highlight. <laughs> the food. I mean, the it's nature is gorgeous. The nature is gorgeous there because, you know, there's a creek and you get to do a little loop and get up in past the coastline and see a different portion of the forest and get down onto the beach and, you know, kind of get a sense of all of it. So it was a nice way to share with guests. But for why I personally loved it, the food. Yeah. <laughs> I I went on your tour, and I thought then, well, I still do, that you knew the intertidal zone better than probably any tour guide on the island. And even even talking to, like, Lewis, who's great, and a few others. I still, I still think that from the one tour, and I've been <laughs> on a lot of tours. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure you, dis- I'm sure you disagree. I, I strongly disagree, but I'm glad I, I, I suckered you into that view. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. So the point is, whether it's true or not, I'm sure the tourists think 
I'm just learning. If they get into it, like you said, yeah. they're like, oh, this guy knows literally everything about the intertidal zone. Oh, man. You do a great job of selling that and just being having an enjoyable time walking through the woods and eating berries. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. it's. I really enjoy the relational aspect of the ecosystem here. And so it's really easy to share that. You know, it's not like you're saying, well, this is the Latin name of this, and this is the Latin name of that. Like, it's approachable. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, also food. <laughs> right. <laughs> what's the, <laughs> other than, other than the food, what's the coolest thing that you've seen or pointed out when you were on that e-bike tour? Ooh. It was always really fun to have bears just chilling next to you because it was a salmon salmon spawning stream and so there'd be bears down there to have lunch and you know they were having lunch so bears really don't uh they don't give a damn about humans if they've got three salmon in front of them right (laughs) they're kind of busy here if you could just stay over there that'd be great (laughs) yeah just just being able to walk past a bear and just hang out pretty close to it and watch it eat it's uh and watch it do what it's been doing for, you know, not that specific bear, mind you, but bears like it for thousands of years. Really cool. Especially coming from the either the city of St. Louis or the city of Nashville or the rice fields of southeast Missouri. Like, just <laughs> None of that has been going on for thousands of years. Like, just participating and viewing an ecology that's been around for a while. Mm-hmm. And just the apex of that. And so you did that in the summers. Right. What was what were your winters like? Uh, that took a while to figure out. Um, did some construction there for a bit in the winter because, you know, there's always that sort of thing here in the winter is infrastructure repair and, you know, what have you. Um, and then eventually got into another fishery um, doing some deckhanding for some of our dive fisheries. So there's the clam fishery, the gooey duck fishery, and then there's the sea cucumber fishery. Uh, both run concurrently, and usually, if it's a diver, they'll hold both permits. So you usually end up doing both, not one or the other. And uh, that runs from October through, it can run all the way through May some years, but usually peters off around March. So you usually have a month or so to uh, reset for the summer season. But uh, yeah, it bookends fairly neatly with the summer tourist season here. Yeah. It seems it seems like it. It's just a natural thing. It just yeah. works together well. Yeah, it does. That's uh, that's what I'm doing again this winter. It's uh, I really enjoy it. I've, first few folks I worked with were interesting, to say the least. I'm glad I learned what I learned. But you know, I, that's one thing I've come to understand with the fishing, um, the fisheries up here is if you have a boat that's eager to take on a greenhorn, you know, someone inexperienced, perhaps that said greenhorn should uh, evaluate uh why <laughs> yeah <laughs> why are you so eager to take on someone new that doesn't know what's going on uh yeah what one, one of uh not my first captain oh, my first captain yeah yeah it was a first i ended up walking off his boat midwinter because i got tired of uh, him coming home from the uh, coming back to the boat drunk Drunk enough that I felt the need to uh, unload his guns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, and you know, I'm going to go back to Ketchikan. Because I was working at a Craig at the time. Because um, that that's where a lot of the gooey duck beds are. 
And uh, it's like, I don't, I, I'm not making that much money. I've got enough money to get through the summer. I don't need to be unloading guns for a living. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, there's a lot of stories like that. There's a lot of, I would, I would say bad boats or boats. That, oh yeah. The captains are just negligent and to a certain point, but also then you have those boats that are incredible. Yeah, and those those guys come back year after year, and like you said, they're not eager to take on greenhorns because right. there's not a lot of turnover on good boats. Right. Yeah. If everyone's getting along and they don't mind staring at each other for a few months a year, it's uh, and you're making money. Like why would why would there be churn? But yeah, right now I'm pretty happy with what's going on. I'm working for a really good fellow, and we have a fast boat, and it brings, you know, everybody gets paid, and we don't mind staring at each other for eight to ten hours a day. Right. <laughs> Oh, really, I don't really stare at him. It's just his bubbles coming out of the water for most of the day. He likes, he's become fond of air. It's a real habit at this point. So <laughs> <laughs> he likes for me to make sure that he still has it, you know, throughout the course of the day. I check once or twice. So, yeah, what is your normal duties in that job? I mean, you've got a diver down there. Right. And you've got to make sure they stay alive. Yeah. And again, they've got a habit of that. They seem to be fond of it for right. some reason or another. <laughs> and then they're sending up stuff to you as well right and stuff is more literal than you would suspect john loves to put rocks and crabs and all sorts of fun stuff in there sometimes <laughs> it's like why is this bag so heavy that a point oh because there's a boulder in it <laughs> thanks john <laughs> it's a cool looking rock just keep it on deck <laughs> just put this here um yeah so there's a couple lines in the water because it's not most of the divers or at least mine doesn't dive uh tanks so you've got a hookah system you know you got a hose running down and then uh you have the anchor of course the boat needs to stay put that way the diver isn't the anchor but again not fond of that idea and then with sea cucumbers you're just dropping net bags down and they're filling them up and then they send it back to you and you pull them up and they're neutrally buoyant so that's not too shabby because they're full of seawater at least up until they get to the surface and with gooey duck, it's a little bit more of a butt. You have a fire hose and a water pump on the deck, and you're, they've got the the diver has the other end of the fire hose, and they're digging with seawater to dig up the clams. And so you've got another hose to manage that's you know pushing out at some ridiculous psi. Um, so it's a bit stiff. And then you got to make sure that doesn't get tangled up in the anchor and the airline and the lines that go down to bring a product. And then all while you're sitting in winter swell, it, it keeps you busy. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the ship's rocking. <laughs> you got four or five cables going down there, hoses, and you can't get them tangled up. Yeah. And you got a diver sending up weird shit constantly. Right. <laughs> and then what he's sending up, you've got to probably process while he's down there. And right. He could send more up. Right. Right. Yeah. Because currently we're working off a 26 foot boat. And then with gooey ducks, you're allowed a thousand pounds in two days. So a thousand pounds of clams takes up a lot of space on a twenty-six foot boat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and you're—it's just—it's just you and him, or yeah. is there a team? Okay, so it's yeah. just the two of you. So, and we're talking a lot of work in two days to get that thousand pounds. Oh, uh, yeah, good bit. And you usually touch your product at least three times. So, it's uh, once when you bring it up, once when you process it, and then once when you pitch the load to the uh, fish processor to further process it or to ship it on further. Right. So, yeah, it's a lot of shuffling around, but it's lovely. It's uh, We've got a tiny boat because it's fast, so 
Tim is not going to complain about moving the load a couple times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on a bigger boat, you can set it there and be done. But on a bigger boat, you can set it there and be done and then take two days to get back to dock. It's, uh, we tend to get back the same day, which is not the norm in that fishery. So not complaining at all about touching the load twice <laughs> or three times. Right. So now you, during your summers, you've got, the Alaska Kayak Company. Right. Tell me a little bit about how that came about and go from there. Uh, well, since I've been up here and, again, realizing that, you know, there's plenty of money to be made by people that show up on time and are sober, that whole idea, I wanted to go out and do something for myself, but I couldn't figure out what that was there for the first few years. And then the more I realized... I loved it here and wanted to stay here. I realized it was, I, what made me love this area was outside, so I realized I wanted to be outside with whatever I did. And that lends itself to tourism or fishing. Um, yeah, and so over the course of the past few years, I've been trying to figure out what that would look like, and kayaking is lovely. It's a great way to explore the coast. So I was toying with that idea, toying with doing... Um, getting some mountain bikes and just bombing old logging roads because that doesn't sound terrible either. Yeah. <laughs> Not a lot of cycling here unless you're willing to put on some body armor and go down an old logging road. I mean, you know. Yeah. There's not not a lot of road. <laughs> yeah. They're, they can be steep, unkempt, and there's a lot of ruts because of all the rain. Yeah. And so. And yeah. I opted for the uh, longer lifespan of... <laughs> <laughs> of the uh, kayak exploration and did one better, um, decided to wreck them on a boat. And that was something Mary and I came together and talked about um, what we wanted to do, what we could do every day and be happy. Um, you know, we just evaluated what hobbies and sports we loved and just turned out to be going on the water. And why not go on the water on a daily basis, you know, and make that your living. And with one point what is it, one, three million people coming through this season? Mm-hmm. Is that, yeah. yeah. It's like, there's going to be somebody that wants to get on the water with us. So, kicked around that idea, and in October last year, we just started running at it and started looking at what a boat would cost, used or new, and started reaching out to lenders and just trying to stitch things together. And uh, put up a business plan and started shopping it around. And in March, we took our loan disbursement and took uh, possession of our boat. Uh, we bought it from a dealer down in Portland, so they had to barge it up. <laughs> they barged up the boat? Yeah, they barged the boat. They boated the boat. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it was a wild ride, because all through the winter, I was also working and deckhanding. And usually... <laughs> Sorry. This is the Visitor's Bureau. Um, usually I'd be on a Craig and trying to get any kind of computer work done in Craig is, is a feat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the public library is a lovely place. It's a, they need more funding though. They, uh, they have one residential GCI line and when you tap that data after that's done, it, it slows to dial-up speeds. So trying to uh, start up a business over in Craig in the winter. And then Mary was over here as well, of course. But, you know, it was a team effort. It was, it was a lot of work to do. 
It's a lot of grinding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I would say. A lot of grinding. But uh, it paid off. Basically, we just worked two jobs through the winter, and one of those jobs was trying to create a business. So as you went from being a tour guide to deciding what kind of tour you wanted to own, hmm. something for yourself, like you said, and now you own it, can you – you described a few of them, but for because there's a lot of people out there that are in that similar starting position. They're a tour guide. And like, oh, it'd be great to be the owner. Right. Or on my own company. And so they think about it. What are like, give me the main, like big, big steps that you have to go to get there. And what were some surprises that you didn't, surprising steps that you didn't see before you started the process? Uh, give me the deep dive. The deep dive. Because a lot of people are interested in this. <laughs> right on. Um, I would say figure out truly what you love to do. And then maybe figure out one or two things that you could tolerate doing and then ask yourself if there's a market for each. And in this case, that was a pretty easy question to answer because, you know, 1.3 million people, you know, there's, there's a market. Um, and then beyond that, reach out to people that play with numbers. It's uh, the small business, uh, small business administration was a great resource for this. Um, that, and there's um, usually, we found two, I know there's probably more, but we found two that we reached out to, community lenders. Um, I wouldn't say go run to a bank. That wouldn't be my first step. That wouldn't even be my fifth step. I would reach out to people around you within that industry, give them a chat, see what struggles they've had in getting started. You know, Take advantage of people with knowledge. Like Trying to do it all on your own is either A, going to be extraordinarily painful, or B, probably not very successful. Um, so lots of open communication and lots of talking to people with relevant experience. But failing all that, go chat with a small business administration rep for your area, and uh, they were a great resource for us for just learning how to communicate with a lender, and really that's what a business plan is. Um, and then just, of course, there's more than a business plan. You got your elevator pitch and all that fun stuff. But the whole business speak and the whole approach of, hey, we're going to make money. You can be a part of this. How, you know, come work with us. Like just that whole language and the conversations aren't something that I really have done before. I'm sure you don't really do that often. Most no. people don't do that often. So using others as a resource for that, I would highly encourage you. And, you know, maybe you get into it and you decide you don't want to do it. But that's really, I think, that I really feel that's where you start, um, is talking to people that will help you talk to lenders. Because let's be honest, most of the people in the seasonal world are going to need a lender, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like no one's walking around with 90000 in their pocket. And if they are, we're jealous. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> I could give you my, my mailing address. Feel free to send some of that. <laughs> It'll be at the end of the podcast. <laughs> so they, yeah, seasonals don't have just a shitload of disposable income or in like enough to right. create a business like that but also like you said they don't frequently talk to lenders and so you're looking for someone with applicable knowledge that's done s similar things to what you want to do and then through right. that communication right yeah ask them how they how they went through it but really um i would highly recommend looking for alternative lenders uh banks it feels like have a yes or a no checkbox that they're going to tick. And with startups, more often than not, they, check the, they tick the no. 
Um, alternative lenders, there's several types that have mission statements related to job creation. Uh, Spruce Root's a great example. That's who we ended up going with around here. They're based in Southeast Alaska. What is it? Spruce Root. Spruce Root. Okay. And then Evergreen Community Business, yeah, Community Business Banking was another one, I believe. Um, and again, their mission is, of course, to make money. They're a lender. But also part of that mission is job creation. And there's like federal title funds for that idea that help back their loans. Um, so don't be disheartened like we initially were when we started running to banks and we started getting a bunch of no's. Take a look. Take a third look. Take a fifth look if you really want to do it. Keep pushing. Right. If you really want to do it, you'll figure it out. Right. I use the the asshole line. Uh, you'll either find a way or you'll find an excuse. The other day. <laughs> as soon as I said it, I was like, oh, what a dick. But it, yeah, it fit the situation. <laughs> I like it. I like it. You'll find a way or you'll find an excuse. Right. That's, that's great. So then you got the boat. Right. The boat got boated up. The boat boated up. <laughs> and then you got... Guests to yeah. book the trip. We suckered people into getting on the boat. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you took the boat off of a boat, and then you put people on the boat. Right. That were paying you. Yes. It's just all. It's all logistics. <laughs> <laughs> and what what was the the planning that went into choosing the routes, or choosing where you go, and choosing how you market to the tourists, and where you put your tour out there? Oh well. It's really variable weather here. You know that. If I mean, there's any in, in industry secrets here, tell no, me. Yeah, I'm off. gonna tell them all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, yeah, you know, it's really variable weather here, and so it's nice to be able to kayak, not into the wind the whole time, you know. And that's originally that's why we got the boat to begin with, so we can go at least if we can't find a lee from the wind then or the waves to at least put it at our back. So that really, like, that opens up a 25-mile radius around Ketchikan as far as cruise ship port times allow. Really, that's the bottleneck. It's not the distance or the location. It's getting people back to the dock in time to get back on their boat, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the real crux of the matter. That's why we we don't do a dock launch tour it's just a lot easier to beat it back when you can have a boat to beat it back in if the weather gets gnarly or you know if it's blowing 15 we don't have to cancel because we'll just go put in at one point and we'll do some kayak sailing past some really beautiful coastline with the wind at our back Um, that would be our big industry secret (laughs) yeah and that way you don't have to paddle back into the wind right right which is which is not as enjoyable let's just put it gently right it's <laughs> it's almost ominous when i've been on those trips it's right. like oh and now God. we turn around it's like oh who shit who turned on the wind it's <laughs> yeah. been there the whole time i feel like a <laughs> sail right now <laughs> but going the wrong way yeah well that that's definitely a great great aspect of it yeah and that's uh that really informs most of our location decisions it's Mary and I wake up in the morning and we pull up all our weather apps and marine wind apps and take a look at what it's supposed supposed to be. And of course, it's going to change from that because when is the forecast ever right? But we get rough in an idea and we know when the system, what systems are coming through, if not when, and uh, plan the tours from that. Um, usually we do one or two departures a day, so it's not too onerous to plan that sort of thing. We're not 
running out five times a day. And Mary so wisely gave us an hour in between our tour departure. So we actually have time to sit and think between them. It's yeah. rather lovely. And so if we need to call an audible, there's time to call an audible, you know? And collect yourself if the first tour were right. from New Jersey or something. Yes, yes. Fucking New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> so, and that that's what you're doing every day this summer? Yeah, yeah. And what days we aren't doing that, we are figuring out how to pay federal taxes and doing boat maintenance and there's just a lot of computer steering time. Like, there's 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 a lot of computer time. But we're getting, yeah, you know, it's that first season of, like, well, what are we supposed to be doing? And so there's, like, no systems in place until we set them in place. Right. And so there's just a lot of muddling through. And some of that's muddling through with a wrench, and some of that's muddling through with a keyboard, and some of, thankfully, some of that's uh, being on the water. Your first year as a small business owner, so you've become a marketer, an accountant, a mechanic, yeah, and every other job title yeah, out there. All those hats. Although yeah. I need to get another hat, I lost mine. <laughs> <laughs> so what? What's the future look like? Uh, more of this. More of this. Um, people keep asking us if when if we're going to expand and get a bigger boat or get another boat, and it's like you know, yeah, no, no, <laughs> calm down. <laughs> yeah, like I, at some point, like you can work yourself out of what you're doing into staring in front of the computer the whole time. You know, it's like if, if we got another boat then somebody's got to manage that and it's not going to be whoever we hired to run the other boat, you know? It's got to be Mary or I, which means we're going to be sitting in front of a computer more. We're not going to be out on the water more because we got another boat. Mm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Which my, is why we got into this. My last guest, Joe Hawkman, said something like, if, you, if you're doing something and you, as you move up the chain of doing that and you're talking about getting bigger, you do less and less of the thing that you wanted to do in the beginning of right. the thing that you love doing that's, that's totally how that would work like there's not a, like yeah no we peaked i think for a while <laughs> yeah just run tours um when we when we can with guests from cruise ships and then people want to charter us to run out sometimes we'll take our kayaks off and we'll go run other people in their kayaks out to a forest service cabin or do some guiding you know those little extra things that happen now and then just lean more into that maybe. But as far as like expanding and hiring and that sort of bit, like Mary and I just want to be on the water. Yeah. That's, that's all we want to do. So whatever brings more of that, we will be doing right. <laughs> and if it does less, we will not be doing exactly great. That is that equation. <laughs> Very smart. What have you, you've done non-seasonal jobs in seasonal places you've done, work in Nashville, you had that, and then you got into seasonal life. What are some lessons that you learned specifically through the seasonal lifestyle? Oh, life just isn't as scary as uh, people that make it out to be, I guess. I don't know. Like, just... Life can be beautiful or life could be shit, and it really isn't contingent widely on what your income looks like. <laughs> And so if that's the one thing you're looking at as like a safety measure is, oh, at least I have this job for the whole year, you know, like there's some sort of income stability. Um, 
And again, speaking from my perspective, I've noticed I've grown away from making fear-based decisions. That's why I referenced it earlier. of like finding security where I was able and moving from that. And, you know, there's just not, there's not a need to latch yourself to a job or a place you don't necessarily love or thrive in just because it provides some modicum of quote-unquote safety. If there's something out there that you know or you even think pretty hard will provide more enjoyment and a better life, whether or not it's quote-unquote more safe, you should go for it. Um, And that's pretty generic, but that's distilling my life experience into moving from fear-based decision-making into just choosing to be happy. And for me, that meant not shackling myself to a wage. Right. Uh, and, just, you know, like any other part of life, there's change. And sometimes there's a lot of change. <laughs> Is there anyone back home or maybe multiple people that you're you're trying to bring up here? Like Devin brought you. Oh. Other I'm, people back home you're trying to bring up? I need something to put notches in. Should I notch one of our panels or something? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you're the you're a seasonal evangelist. Yeah, I've gotten to, well, I just, I've moved up four people, and they ended up staying. What's What's your usual pitch to them? Uh I point out the obvious, which is you know, it's a wilderness playground. That's the pretty easy one. You know, like all of Southeast Alaska is that billboard, and then start referencing and taking them into the community when I'm able and showing them like the other half of living here, which is, you know, me, you, Mary, it's, uh, the folks that live here versus, or not versus, but in addition to all the natural beauty and things to do outside, there's all of these fine, lovely people to do it with. (laughs) And they are fine and lovely people. They are. Um, yeah. So I've got four, I'm working on five. Nice. Yeah. It's a what is, do you think, a, a usual sticking point that you think is really easily talked away, but always seems to keep coming back as a sticking point for someone not coming up? Oh, well, the last two that moved up, and they come, they came off the ferry in May, um, and now she's working at Sale, and he's working out at Salmon Falls Resort. Um yeah, they were like, oh, well, we would love to move, but, you know, we just have so much invested in where we are, and, like, it'll probably take at least five years. And then I gave them, I gave them the uh, elevator pitch. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't give everyone the elevator pitch, mind you, but I gave them the elevator pitch because they were out on tour with me, so I only had a few hours. I had to sell it hard. Um, but uh, just talked about how nobody is ever – fully positioned for transition. You know, and then no one's just like, oh, I'm ready to walk right through there, and everything's perfect. It's uh, usually there's at least one hang-up. Um, and usually many. Usually, yeah, right. many. Yeah. It's these people, they, they think, it's like, oh, well, it was easy for you. No, like, no, 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 it wasn't. No. It was not easy at all. I remember gritting my teeth, falling asleep many nights. It's <laughs> way easier now, though. You're right about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, just... Getting rid of the idea, and I guess it doesn't fulfill necessarily all the uh, qualities you asked. Like it's not, it wasn't easy for me, but people think it was. So, like you had mentioned, um, there's just a lot of work that comes with disentangling yourself from the non-seasonal lifestyle, uh, but it's worth it. 
but it wasn't easy for anyone. <laughs> and so when people get hung up on that idea of, oh, it's it would we would take years, years. It's like you could do you want to do this? Yes or no? And then if it's yes, do it. <laughs> right. So let me get this straight. I think I heard you correctly. These people came on a, a cruise. Yeah. And they just happened to book your tour on this cruise. And they're just, they're going through their life. Yeah. Happy as can be. Live in Colorado at this point. Live in Colorado, which is a great state to live in. It is. And they get on your tour and you're like, guess what? About to change your life completely pretty much and they're like oh no we couldn't do that and then you're like yeah you can and then, then they did then they did yeah yeah i they reached out to me like five six times throughout the winter for like different advice and checking stats yeah advice and, then, and when they were calling me in december it was like oh we think we can get it in like two years and then in january it's like we think we're gonna come up in may <laughs> so they got five years down to five months basically Okay, yeah. so changing lives one tour at a time. Yeah, yeah. Is that the, is that, that the logo that, that now? It should be. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of Bibles, we hand out tour brochures. <laughs> so yeah, I, okay, you are definitely... I've never gotten somebody off of a tour to go, you know what, I'm going to do this now. Oh, yeah, they live out at uh, North Point Higgins. That's awesome. <laughs> Congratulations, you Thanks. did it. <laughs> it beaks. Well, Tim, thank you for coming on the episode. It was great talking to you. Yeah. It's always wonderful seeing you. Yeah, same joy. Yeah! That's it. That's the episode. The seasonals are Kelly Mogg, Ryan Deininger, me, Joey Ravinsky. The theme song by Ryan Deininger, Joe Williams, Louis Leva, Chappie, Thomas Hamilton. Follow us on Instagram at the seasonals underscore. Like us on Facebook. Listen to our next episode. That's it. We're out. Yeah.